On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, we've been talking about today being May Day. It's the anniversary of the opening of one of the world's great landmark buildings, a story connected to Ireland and Irish Labour in many ways. That is because on the 1st of May, 1931, 91 years ago today, President Herbert Hoover symbolically pushed a button in the White House that supposedly, at least, turned on the lights of the Empire State Building. Now, that gesture was fairly symbolic, meaningful at best. But in New York, a building that would change the appearance of a city forever was finally completed, amazingly, ahead of time and under budget. Uh, Donald Fallon has just come off a secondment to the National Procurement Council trying to figure out how exactly you can build a building ahead of time and under budget, which is an expertise (laughs) that we'd love to have these days uh, to come and tell us the story about it. Uh, Donald, uh, the story of this building, of the Empire State Building, uh, is really inseparable uh, from its time because it was a huge project built at a time when it would seem like no one would ever be able to afford it. Yeah, I love the story of the Empire State Building because, as you said, it's it's no building is built out of context, I suppose, of what's happening around it. Mm. But the story of the Empire State Building, it's great. It's the story of migrant labour. It's also the story of a city and a world that was battling against, I wouldn't say economic recession, economic depression. And in some ways, you know, the Empire State Building, it said to the world that New York and indeed capitalism itself, you know, was not dead. This is two years after the Wall Street collapse. This is a time when some questioned the need to be building such real estate at all, to be honest, when there was an exodus out of New York City, not unlike what we saw during the during the pandemic. And to build something as impressive as the Empire State Building in the heart of a city that seemed to be in paralysis, the city mm. of New York, it's a, it's a remarkable story. President Hoover said, when America was on the verge of financial collapse, I mean, this always reminds me of Bertie when he was asked about the boom, and he said the boom times would only get boomier. <laughs> President, <laughs> Great adjective. <laughs> President Hoover was asked, how's the economy looking? And he said, the fundamental business of the country, the production and distribution of goods and services, is on a sound and prosperous basis. Very few people believed him, to be mm. honest. And then, of course, on Black Tuesday, two years yeah. before the Empire State Building, construction begins, the unimaginable happened. Uh, there's a touch of John McCain from 2008 going, the fundamentals of this economy are sound and then like kind of losing the election over how detached it sounds. Um, what I find remarkable about all of this is we're talking about this, the scale of the building and whether there was even a market for that kind of real estate in New York. And there was legitimate reason to think that there might not be a market for it because the scale of the collapse was without precedent and it seemed that basically everyone had lost money. Yeah, I mean, there was unprecedented engagement with the stock market. And I mean, nowadays you can do that on your mobile phone, you know, on like Etoro or Revolut or mm. something. Everyone can just buy and sell stocks. But there's this mania around stocks in the 1920s. And some people blame that really for the extent of the collapse of capital. I mean, the head of Chase Bank put it very bluntly, we are reaping the natural fruit of the orgy of speculation. Isn't that brilliant? Mm-hmm. In which millions of people have indulged. It was inevitable because of the tremendous increase in the number of stockholders in recent years that the number of sellers would be greater than ever when the boom ended and selling took the place uh, of buying. Which seems you know? sound on the face of it. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, forget it. You'd blame an Elon Musk tweet or something today, wouldn't you, for a first stock <laughs> collapsing. That was what Chase Bank uh, blamed in, in, in the 20s. And this was devastating, you know, for the so-called man on the street, the everyday person, including the Irish migrant. And in a city which was facilitating hundreds, sometimes up to a thousand building projects annually, I think a lot of people felt in New York after the Wall Street collapse, it's going to be a long time before a labourer would see New York from, from up in the sky again. So that is the context, really, of the Empire State Building. It comes right after this great collapse of capitalism. And, you know, in some ways it was influenced by it because when you don't have a lot of money, when money is scarce, what do you do? You build quick. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lesson born in down. mind by the National Children's Hospital and those responsible. <laughs> um, now, there, okay, but there's there's build quick and then there's build super quick because we think now of what it would take in the modern day to, to build and kit out a building of that size. This is the 1920s, 1930s. 
And they build the Empire State Building in 13 months. Isn't that amazing? You know, you wouldn't get planning permission today to build a car park in Dublin in 13 months. Never mind the Empire State Building. 102 stories, by the way. 102 stories built on the site of the old Waldorf uh, Astoria Hotel. And in its heyday, it was the world's tallest building. Mm. So, yeah, to construct the world's tallest building in just over a year is absolutely extraordinary. And for me, you know, when when you go to New York, uh, it's been significantly eclipsed even in New York City. But this building still has incredible presence, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's mm. it's a product of its time. When you look at it, you have the kind of Art Deco touches, the beautiful kind of sculpted eagles in the Fifth Avenue entrance. But there's other things we take for granted. You know, I was I was a teenager when I walked around that building. Uh, and there's things we take for granted. Little things, little touches of modernity. Escalators. You know, incredible yeah, a things. serious novelty for the 1930s. A serious yeah. novelty in the early 1930s. The bronze motives, you know, that you see when you walk in. Uh, honouring the industries, electricity, masonry, heating. I mean, this really was, you can't overemphasize that point, this really was American capitalism saying, mm. we still exist. Uh, there is always some Irish link to this. And of course, people will think about the, the labourers who might have you know, toiled in, in some of the high up images and we'll come to them in a few minutes. But without one of the most powerful Irish voices in the city, it is probably safe to say that the Empire State Building would never have happened. Yeah, look, the men, we know there's a lot of Irish labour up there building this thing, but there's also Irish, you know, white collar uh, work going on here too. It's the Empire State Incorporated, a body that makes this all happen. And on that board, Empire State Inc. is Al Smith, really colourful character uh, in American political life. He's the first Catholic ever put forward by a major political party uh, to run for US president. Wow. He's a real Tammany Hall man. He's Irish-American to the core. He draws on that. Uh, and he's like, colourful in all kinds of ways. In US politics, they called him a wet and if you're wondering okay, what that means, the country was divided between the wets and the dries on the question ah, of prohibition. prohibition. And he, okay. he was definitely a wet and very much uh, not the first or last Irish politician to be <laughs> close to publicans. But during the presidential election in, in, in the States, the several presidential elections he ran in, they kind of they called him the Roman menace, you know, or the New York man who knew nothing about rural uh, America. But he's a powerhouse, Al Smith, and he is at the heart of the construction of this building, making it a, a, go from a, an idea to a reality. Mm. And thanks to his manoeuvring, construction of the Empire State Building begins on the 17th of March, 1930. (laughs) So 17th of March, 1930, St. Patrick's Day, and then you have May Day, 1931, when the whole thing is kitted out and ready to be opened, uh, which just, again, is just an amazing turnaround. Um, When we think of who exactly built it, it, we should remember maybe the situation as it was in Ireland, because there were a lot of people, you think of them as going off in search of a better fortune, but a lot of those people who went to New York in the 20s and 30s would have considered themselves to be exiles. Yeah, really. yeah. Brian Hanley, one of our one of our foremost historians, and actually a, a regular sometimes on that Second Captain's podcast, he always mm. has something interesting to say, Brian, about history. Uh, he writes about Irish republicanism in New York, kind of between the World Wars, World War One and Two, And he makes this great point that there was a, a kind of drain of young men who'd been on the losing side of the Irish Civil War. In the 1920s, okay. and who just you know this is before Fianna Fáil so, comes so to power. The, so in the they're 30s. not they're not just economic refugees, but they're sort of political ones as well because yeah. they've, they've lost in the war and they think that's it now we're done. Yeah, and there's a kind of reemergence of Irish republicanism in the U.S. amongst first generation Irish people, you know, who've who've left in the aftermath of losing uh, the Civil War. So that's extraordinary to think about these guys, mm-hmm. you know, men with no possibility of employment at home. And he writes that New York's Irish population in 1931 was estimated at 613,000 people with 220,000 of them actually born on the island of Ireland. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of Irish-born blood, first-generation Irish yeah. blood, 
uh, in the city. Yeah, because because this is like eighty years on from the famine, so of course there are going to be a lot of people who will sort of trace their their ethnicity or their their heritage as being Irish. But the idea that a third of them at this point were actually born on the island and were first hand emigrants, which is amazing, isn't it? Amazing, you know, people born on 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 the Aran Islands, people from rural Ireland building these skyscrapers over New York City, and you know, almost eighty percent of New Yorkers. Brian makes this point: were Catholic or Jewish in a country where you know. America's a Protestant country. It was a Protestant country. It had a Protestant majority. Yeah. So New York was this melting pot. It's Italians, it's Eastern Europeans, and it's first-generation Irish migrants who were a big part of the mix that makes the Empire State Building happen. Uh, one of the great photographers of history was also there at the time, as well as these 600,000-odd Irish people. But um, a lot of the men who he was documenting had no idea who he was or how good he was. Lewis Hines, an amazing photographer. And if people Google his name, they'll, they'll know some of his work to see. You know, Even if the name isn't familiar... Uh, he was in his 50s and he was given the, the job, I suppose, of documenting the construction of this of this great building. And he was really, I think it's fair to say, Lewis Hine, he was like the first documentary photographer of working life. You know, he was really interested in capturing the human face of industry, we might say. Mm. So he'd taken some very powerful pictures of child labour conditions uh, and he lands this gig. He's commissioned to capture the Empire State Building job, but he doesn't want a lot of the workers knowing that he's there. And you can see that in the shots. You know, it, people pose for photographers. People act differently around photographers. Mm, yeah. So he just captures them going about the work of building uh, the, the the structure. And he remembered how. I mean, some of them knew he was there. He says they swung me out in a box from the hundredth floor, a sheer drop of nearly a quarter mile to get some shots of the tower. I mean, is that absolutely amazing? <laughs> Unbelievable. God. Today he put a drone camera out the window. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and hope for the best. Uh, and he recalled the whole thing. It's given me a new zest of a new zest of high adventure. I'd say it has yeah, a very sure dramatic work for yeah. a photographer. But the images he took are absolutely wonderful. And for me, you know, they're vital to understanding industrial history, the development of one of the world's great cities, uh, and migrant labour. So, if you say picture of lads out on a beam building a skyscraper, there is that one image that everyone is going to know, and they're going to be like, "Oh yeah, there's the Irish lads out there now building the Empire State Building." The problem with that image being. It's not the Empire State Building, yeah, is it? Yeah, it's one of the great images of human history, isn't it? You see it all the time, and it is often mistaken for the Empire State Building. Uh, its title is Lunch Atop a Skyscraper. And everyone, again, has seen that image, whether they know it or not. Mm. You know, fellas sitting up there in a beam eating lunch in New York City. But alas, that's the Rockefeller Center. Ah, and there was a just great only a few documentary. Away, in fairness. Yeah, great documentary a couple of years ago, kind of busted a load of myths around that picture called Men at Lunch and went about finding or trying to find the men in it and their story. So look, the Empire State Building produced a lot of iconic images, but mm. that unfortunately isn't one of them. Uh, might be sacrilege to say if we're doing a slot about the Empire State Building, but I always thought that the top of the Rockefeller Centre was a better tourist experience because it's slightly <laughs> less crowded. And also, yeah. if you do the top of the rock, you can actually see the Empire State Building, which means you still get the New York skyline, because otherwise it's like going to the top of the Eiffel Tower and then looking out and going, no, I don't see the tower anywhere, because it's just lost from Take your skyline. Take Island Ferry for free and get great views too. Go, or he- just <laughs> get, get the subway out to the Brooklyn Bridge and then walk over it, you get a great view. Um, times and fashions have changed, but people are, are still pretty in love with that building. Yeah, I mean, the times have overtaken it somewhat, haven't they? But the Empire State Building, it holds this really special place in American consciousness. Uh, architects love it. That's always a good sign, isn't it? Mm-hmm. it? It was voted number one on the American Institute of Architects list of American buildings. So That's something uh, else, considering that there's enough rivals in New York alone, like the Chrysler yeah. Building or even the, the old and new World Trade Centres. There are plenty of other options that could rival it, but, but that's, I that's think, very impressive. I think this comes right back to what we were saying at the beginning, I mean, when it was built. I think that's as much the, the, the love affair with this building as when it was built. And you know, New Yorkers, there's a stubbornness about them and there's a stubbornness about that building. To have built such a thing in a global depression was a statement that this city wouldn't be going anywhere and wouldn't be throwing in the towel. 
But think about its iconic status. I mean, King Kong has climbed this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was labelled the wonder of the world. Every great New York artist has painted it. You know, it's in Lou Reed songs. People run up the stairs every yes, year, believe yeah. it or not. The Empire State Building run up. And every Paddy's Day, I really like this, they, they light it up in the colours of an Irish strike colour. Mm. Actually, they did that during the week for the Yes, uh, they did. The yes. Fight. They had Puerto Rican colours on the other side. Uh, as Gavin Casey from the 42 put it, he's like, at long last, some, you know, uh, some documentation or some imagery of the age-old rivalry between our people <laughs> of the Irish and the Puerto Ricans finally now unified on the side of this building. But isn't that great that that still happens, you know, and, and when you see it in, in, in the colours of the tricolour, you know, it, it's a fitting tribute, isn't it, to, to Al Smith and the labourers without whom it, it would never have happened. Uh, it certainly is. The Empire State Building marking its 91st birthday today uh, and long may it last. Uh, don't Irish hangovers in New York City this morning. I, I, I'm, I'm sure that, well, in fact, <laughs> I, I even at this point doubt if they're hangovers because they should still be on the tear in some, some nice watering hole. They're certainly the wets of the city tonight I suspect um, while you are here uh, you might as well tell us about your big television appearance uh, tomorrow evening and for the next five or six weeks yeah I was really happy to be asked to do this Brainstorm is a, a section of the RT website where people from Irish universities talk about what they're working on and the great idea was had to turn this into a television show so my my brother's dismissed it as nationwide for nerds but it's much more than <laughs> nationwide for nerds academics talking about their work not in academic settings you know we pulled these people out of universities uh, and, and made them explain what they're working on and why it's important uh, so the brainstorm series presented by our own Donald Fallon kicks off at half past eight uh, tomorrow evening it runs for a few weeks and Monday nights half past eight on RT1 uh, might as well mention by the way if you're talking about Nationwide for Nerds uh, in, the, in the usual slot for that programme uh, London Grad Putin's Billionaires uh, airs tomorrow night a documentary made by my colleague in Virgin Media News Richard Chambers that airs tomorrow night at seven o'clock plenty of bank holiday viewing uh, if you're staying inside Donald Fallon as always thank you very much Donald Fallon is the author of the community books and of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia, a story about the social history of our capital. He's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about Dublin history, which you'll find anywhere you get your audio. On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.